If you want to open with me this morning, we're in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6. And um, in Ephesians chapter 6, well, to understand what's happening in verses 1 through 9, we have to understand what's going on in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 18, well, 15 through 21, where we're told exactly what God expects from us as believers who are indwelled by God the Holy Spirit. In 5.18, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled by the Spirit is the summary command. Don't be drunk with wine for that as dissipation or a waste, but rather be filled by the Spirit. Uh, In some Christian traditions, the first half of that verse has been emphasized. At least we don't do that. But um, that's really not Paul's, the thrust of Paul's message. It's not really his point that we're not doing certain things. In fact, what he's getting to is what we are to do. I'll give you an example in verse 15. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. That's a command to take care of your Christian walk. Don't, don't just dither around and float around like an undirected uh, person, like you don't know what your life is about. That's what we do, but Paul says don't do that. Rather, make the most of your time in verse 16 because the days are evil. This is about how short life is. The wickedness of the world system that Satan administers, referenced in Ephesians chapter 2 and chapter 6. And so then, don't do this. Don't be foolish. That's not his point, but it's certainly something we want to take to heart. But rather, here's the point. Understand or know what the will of God is. That is not a call to mysticism, pagan or otherwise. And I think all mysticism is pagan personally that's not a call to get quiet and empty your mind and then the holy spirit will give you some new stuff that's not known in scripture it's known in all cultures in all contrary systems with saint patrick's day who's getting pinched if you didn't wear green today saint patrick's day we're talking about slavery in ephesians 6 but to understand slavery in Ephesians 6, we've got to understand it's in the power of the Holy Spirit that we would know the will of God because He tells us. And to be filled by the Spirit is what He does with His Word in our hearts. So if, I don't know what I should pray for. Pray what the Word of God says to pray for. Be on mission. Be part of God's actual work that He's doing. Make disciples. Pray for that. I can show you all through the scriptures where that's the prayer life of those uh, apostles and prophets of the New Testament. But we're, we're in St. Patrick's Day, which is a story about a slave. He didn't start out as a slave. He started out as a, a Roman. In the British Isles, on the Big Island, he was kidnapped after the Roman um, decline in the early 400s. The early 400s. <laughs> uh, Patrick was, uh, as we said last week, kidnapped as a, as a captive to, uh, to some raiders. And uh, what happened? Well, he was enslaved. And um, there are legends and there's a lot of illiteracy 
And, um, and then later, the Confessions of St. Patrick, which are a mystical document and um, somewhat suggestive of a recapitulation of Mount Carmel. Um, and uh, St. Boniface and St. Patrick almost have the same story. And so I, I, I don't put a lot of weight on the legends, but I do want to say this. We know that this man was kidnapped, eventually escaped slavery from these Irish uh, slavers, pirates. He made it back home. Believed he was called to the gospel ministry and found himself back among the people that had enslaved him to make disciples, to evangelize them and teach them to keep all that Jesus had commanded. In that story is um, a villain. In the story of Patrick, there's a bad guy that he had to overcome. And I don't just mean Satan. I mean the manifestation of Satan's deception in the world in which he lived. You know what the contrary system of thought was that Patrick encountered? It's gaining ascendancy today. Who were the bad guys in the story? Who's the foil in the, story, the great story of Patrick? It wasn't the snakes. Patrick comes as a representative of the gospel to people that, oh, well, we've never thought any deep thoughts about anything in terms of creation or origins or, or religion or worship before. We don't have anything going on. What do you have to say to us, Patrick? Is that how it worked? What was Patrick dealing with? Do you know? Well, sure. Yeah, everywhere we go, unbelievers, but what was their flavor? You ever heard of Stonehenge? Who are these people that Patrick has to deal with? Yeah, the Druids. It's funny, she doesn't look Druish. If you're laughing, then you have a really low brow sense of humor. Like me. The Druids, what's going on with the Druids? Well, they're shamans. They're a tribal... Um, mystical nature religion which involved by all historical accounts human sacrifice now that's a oh that's that's pejorative to say they were because druidism is coming back the neo-pagans say oh our stuff is older than christianity a lot of it is druidism which is kind of the the british isles and some of northern europe that's the, the kind of their flavor of paganism there's paganism all over the world everyone has to worship something most people in world history have worshipped the sun, S-U-N. We worship the S-O-N, but they've worshipped the S-U-N, the nature. And, and part of that, that's how the Druids were. They worshipped uh, the trees and sacred oaks and these things. And, um, and it's an interesting thing. He came into a very consistent fabric, very, a very strong bulwark of Druidism where they had, they had the, the priest. They had a priesthood that kept the people in line that put out the doctrine, that, that did the, the special rites. They had all the superstitious trickery of all the shamanism that says, if you don't do our way, well, you might get cursed or the demons might get you or something. And they lead with fear and, and so forth. And Patrick came with a message of eternal life. And he won. God won. One story has him bringing fire from heaven Almost like the priests of Baal didn't get fire from heaven, and Patrick did. And more importantly, the Holy Spirit convicted people of their need for sin, need, need regarding sin for a Savior, and many believed. 
Patrick was an effective missionary in Ireland, but he wasn't Irish. Isn't that interesting? Now, that's the story of St. Patrick very briefly. From what I think we can glean based on very scanty historical records. Um, again, you can read this, the confessions of St. Patrick and you get a, a whole almost monastic, miraculous, mystical thing that kind of goes along with medieval relic hunting and a lot of things that I think are bogus. But, but there was really this, this missionary who was enslaved by these people and went back to them. And to me, that's the most compelling part of the message. The point is, Patrick was a slave of Jesus Christ, regardless of whether he was enslaved to the Irish pirates or whether he was freed back home. He recognized he had a mission. He was bound to the Lord Jesus, and this drove his life. And he saw it. He caught that vision, and I do believe, be thou my vision, and its original is probably by St. Patrick. I like that idea. We're going to sing that today. But he had Jesus Christ as his focus, and so he was able to do this work because he understood what life was about. This life is too short to be all that there is, as we all know. And so what are you doing? What are you here for? What's this short few decades of this phase of life about? It's about the only opportunity I have to serve Jesus Christ in a condition of suffering where I'm walking by faith, not by sight. The greatest is love. Faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest is love in part because faith and hope have to do with not seeing him and someday we will see him and the love we have for him now will continue and so that's the worldview that's the perspective that helps us understand what's going on in ephesians five eighteen. be filled by the spirit with the word so that you walk in dependence on him and therefore abide in christ and bear the fruit of the spirit this is christian spirituality and this has its impact on how we relate to god to one another and what's the word for relating to one another in Ephesians 5.21? The fruit of the Spirit, or the result of filling of the Spirit in Ephesians 5.21 will be that you what? Yeah, you submit. Is that what you said? Be subject, okay? Be subject to. Submit to. Put yourself under. Hupotasso. And we've looked really closely at all the different structures. We said sometimes this word refers to someone in a lower position of authority, looking up to someone in a higher position of authority and putting himself under, submitting to that authority. And sometimes it means someone in a higher position of authority, looking at someone lower and putting his interests second and putting himself and his needs under that other person's so that he as a servant leads and is not under their authority, but he is using his authority properly. And so don't ever let someone tell you that Ephesians 5.21 undoes marital roles, husband, wife. It doesn't. Neither does Galatians 3.28, but those are the two places Christian feminists will take you and say that men and women are interchangeable. We're not. But that's not the point, and hopefully you have the discernment uh, to know uh, a satanic ruse when you see one. The point is, whatever you find yourself, whatever status, authority, structure you're in, you do it as unto the Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the idea. And the other person, the other person becomes the way. You in my life become someone I can serve God. I can serve God by how I treat you. Now this is consistent over both Old Testament, New Testament, all through the scriptures, this is the deal. Is first is God, how you treat him, and then 
people, how you treat them for his sake. I can show you in the Exodus 20 is the clearest place. First four commandments in Exodus 20, beginning God's covenant stipulations for the Mosaic covenant called the law. The first four are how you treat God, and the last six are how you treat people for God's sake. How you treat God and how you treat people for God's sake. I mean, it's all about God, but he really does care how we treat one another. So the fruit of the Spirit is going to be love, not just in a general sense that I'm in a cave by myself with St. Anthony in the 500s, 400s, just loving. No, Anthony, there are people outside the cave that need you to disciple them. They're coming and asking, what can we do to serve the Lord? And then you actually have to go and love them for God's sake. And that's the origin of monasticism. A lot of the St. Patrick myths are in that mystical movement. I would just reject that wholesale. But the point is that when you're alone, you really can't do the one another stuff that is how you can serve God by how you treat others. Um, now, let's talk about that just in a general sense for a second. Are you telling me that I have to deal with other people to be a good Christian? I'm saying that I don't use language like that. I don't know what a good Christian is. I know what a disciple is because the Bible talks about that. Why do you call me good? No one's good but God, says Jesus. So, I, no, nobody's good here. I'm just saying we can walk by faith. We can walk by the Spirit. We can bring forth the good deeds that the Spirit of God would work in us. We can do that. And as you watch the actual Scriptures and not the theological abstractions people have made about it sometimes, as you watch what the Scriptures say in the New Testament... To you, church-age believers, as you watch what, it's, what the Spirit says, you find, yeah, um, a great deal of our worship as Christians involves what we say, do, think toward other human beings. Now, in some circles, what I just said would be considered a, a huge no-brainer. Of course, you've got to deal with people. Of course, it's important how you treat people. But watch, in a lot of those circles... We don't think about God at all. It's just all about, are you okay with me? Because I'm okay with you. We really love each other. Let me, I'm sorry, I didn't. St. Patrick Hart. I love you. We came here and we were loved and we left. God, the incarnation, the work of Christ on the cross, the real love of God where there's real peace because there's no enmity between us and God, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit so that he'll fill you with the word of God so that you will serve God on his terms, the power of God through his precious word. No, 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 we were loved. We felt something that was real. That's Druidism, that's shamanism. If you're just... A censor. My feelings are a censor to determine what is real. Might as well make an echoey room, burn some incense where I can smell some good smells, ring some bells, and even go through a prayer uh, maze. That's another thing in, in Catholic mysticism today. In contemplative Christianity, they will have special places dedicated off in the back chambers of the large cathedral where you can light a candle and follow a maze. You know, like when your kids are waiting for their hamburger, follow a maze on the little menu. We can follow a maze and contemplate what we know about God or what God, who God is or, or just ourselves or life. And we become, it's this mystical view. It's a satanic ruse. It's this mystical view that cognitive isn't important, that what God said is certainly not focal, 
so that I'm not taking in what he said and thinking it after him and his power to serve him. And I'm just kind of, you know, being led along. And the world's full of that, but the Bible just keeps on being printed in words that if we think about them, change us. How do you get to be a tree firmly planted by streams of flowing water? You meditate in his word day and night. You meditate in his word, not separate from his word. Oh, I meditate. I meditate. I think of nothing all the time. Right? That one, one comedian once said that the difference between men and women is um, men are like a box and there's nothing going on inside that box. And women, there's a lot of stuff going on in there. And so women will say to men, what are you thinking? And we're like, I don't know. Well, I was just meditating. There's nothing going on in there. You know, very contemplative uh, passive man, malehood, I shouldn't say manhood, um, in our culture. But what, what we're going for here is um, thinking God's thoughts will take you to a place regarding something so awful as slavery that is the exact opposite about, uh, of what the world would say. See, if you, if you read Ephesians 6, <clears throat> 5 through 8, to the unbelieving world today, they'll say, see, Christianity in if you just take Paul's words at face value, Christianity reinforces the oppressive status quo that is the problem with this world. Oppression, people enslaving one another. It's the most obvious, flagrant form of of oppression. That's what's wrong with the world. And Paul just says, do a good job in it. He just makes good slaves who walk the line and don't rebel. And so you never get any positive change. Because see, the, the world has this goal of utopia. We're going we're gonna to get to some beautiful plateau of human development and peace through re- rearranging our politics. I love politics. I mean, I hate it, but I love to follow it. Because it's, as I think about it, it's, it's a study in depravity. It's just one sin nature making a speech after another. And you, half this, the trick with politics is trying to figure out, does this person actually mean what he or she is saying? No offense. Does this person actually mean what he, he or she is saying? Or does this person mean to get a vote and is just saying things to, to do that, to, to dissemble? And that's the, it's a problem, but it isn't a solution. Politics won't solve anything. Vote call your congressman, do all that you should do. But you can even find yourself, as we said last week, enslaved and get it right for the Lord. And you could be a totally free person and never be enslaved and waste all the days, all the breaths you take, all the days of your life because you didn't focus on what God said is the, is the focus, is the deal. All right, in Ephesians 6, 5, the way slaves submit to one another the way they carry out the filling of the Spirit in Ephesians 5.21 to submit one to another is they obey their masters. That's how a slave does it toward the master. Now, he doesn't talk about how slaves treat other slaves, peers. He's talking about hierarchical relationships, husbands and wives, children and parents, slaves and masters. Uh, slaves, be obedient to those who are masters according to the flesh. Your masters according to the flesh. Now, remember that word masters is kurios. It means Lord. Kurios is one of the names for Jesus. He's the Lord Jesus Christ. Whenever you read Lord in the New Testament, it's this word kurios. 
But then Paul's very careful to, to, um, to restrict that to after the flesh. These are, these are not your Savior. These are not your Lord Jesus. These are your Lords after the flesh, the people who are your masters in this frame of life. So he calls it in the flesh. Does it mean in, in sin, the flesh? It means your masters in life, not Jesus Christ. And how do you do that with fear and trembling? with humility, with a recognition of authority and a proper orientation to that authority. That's the way Paul says a spirit-filled slave will carry out submitting one to another in the fear of Christ. With fear and trembling and the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. Now the big theme as we saw, and I just, I know some of this is review, but I want to really reinforce this. The big thing is inside, not outside. Every one of you has a face you can put on of compliance that I will never know. The boss, whoever, the the person you're talking to, your husband, your wife, your parents, they'll never know unless they watch you enough times and they say, oh, that's the face of outward compliance and internal hatred. That's the face of outward compliance and internal rebellion. Because you show me compliance here, but then in your hands, in your words, you show me rebellion. And Paul is saying this is a lack of integrity. It's a lack of consistency inside out. And you need to start inside with with fear and trembling, with an inner sense of responsibility to God to recognize authority wherever he has delegated it. And for his sake, for Christ's sake, to humble yourself to that authority. That's the idea. This is an extreme case. This is an extreme case. The, are you familiar with the phrase, the, the Latin phrase, a fortiori? A fortiori. Um, that's how the Latin, that's how you say it. What this, what this phrase means is that if, if I can pick up an elephant, then I can pick up a bag of groceries. If I can write my name, oh, sorry, if I can write a novel, I can write my name on a piece of paper. See, if I can do a, a, a really heavy, hard thing, then I can do an easy thing for stronger reason. Obviously, for, I mean, this would be easy for you. If you've passed, um, you know, trigonometry uh, in 11th grade or whatever, then you can do basic algebra. That's for stronger reason. That's the idea. If you can be a slave one who bears God's image and therefore created for him and he made you, and somehow you find yourself sold to another human, like Joseph did, like most peoples in world history have, some from every group have been enslaved, like the Briton, Roman from England, Patrick is sold to slaves, as a slave to the Irish. If you find yourself enslaved, then don't worry. You can find yourself for stronger reason uh, wait, wait, what I'm saying. If a slave can do this for the Lord, then you in your cubicle can do this for the Lord. You can submit to your authority if it can be true of a slave. That's, that's the argument. So take any authority structure. Oh, the boss, the first line supervisor, um, the E7 over the E6, the, um, that major that used to come and just tear me to pieces for uh, having a pulse when I was a second lieutenant. We called them the Iron Majors, the, the, 
They've, they're 32 or 3 they or 4, maybe 5. They've forgotten what it was like to not know what you're doing and be told that you have to know everything. And they come in and they just smash your head against the wall three or four times and they go back to, you know, work. <laughs> We've all had bosses like that. But later you find out that you are one of those people when you don't think about what it was like to be that 23-year-old that didn't have a clue but thought he did. And um, anyway... Um, you can apply this in any circumstance of life where there's an authority structure. Students with teachers. The teacher is the person in charge. So submit to that authority. One of the most frustrating times I ever had in any educational endeavor was in a seminary class in Dallas. Ronald Allen was the professor. He's a pretty accomplished uh, Hebrew scholar. He's the editor for the, uh, for the notes of the New King James Study Bible and the Old Testament portion. And... Um, done a number of things and appreciate Dr. Allen. We go in there for class. It was like a, I don't know, a 1015 class or something. And it was full. It was a required course. It was full. And uh, so there we are, you know, 40 or 50 people in this classroom in this seminar space. And the prof comes in and um, he comes in on time and everybody's talking, 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 talking. And it's fun. I mean, we've got a lot of counseling majors um, looking for husbands and stuff, and, and they're, um, <laughs> they're uh, talking to each other because it's a good social fun time, except that it's 10, 15, and I paid $1,000 for this course. That's what I'm thinking. As we're talking, and he's standing there saying, okay, let's get started. This 65, 70-year-old Hebrew scholar that um, I could hear anybody. I could go anywhere I want and hear a bunch of ladies talk, but um, I'm only going to hear Ron Allen teach uh, the prophets here now ever and I'm, I'm not going to get to hear this lecture again and I don't necessarily feel like it because I'm tired and I'm doing my best to be disciplined about this but here we're going to talk he would t- I would watch him try to get these people shut up for two three minutes after he was there and it's so disrespectful and I was just always frustrated I went to the I went to one of the assistant deans and said should I say something or do something should I get up in front of the class and say, hey, y'all shut up? <laughs> Back then, that was about what I had in the arsenal. I wasn't as soft then. I was kind of, I wouldn't have been like, hey, everybody, I know we're glad to see each other. Put on a little Osteen. I know we're glad to see each other, but wouldn't it be great if we could all just be quiet when the professor comes and we paid to, to do this course? Anyway, um, um, the, the dean said, no, I don't recommend you get in front of the class and tell them to shut up. But I do understand your frustration, and I'm, I'm sorry, I know that's hard. And I don't know, back then, it probably got back to Dr. Allen, I don't know what was said, but um, um, I remember that as, a, an, as an example of dishonor, disgrace, and not understanding authority. This guy's the professor. These little girls in front are not. They're not the professor. And they need to be quiet because the professor needs to speak. And that's an authority situation. Now, it's not, you know, elementary school. It's not parents and children. But there is an authority that's going on here, and it was disrespectful. Here in this Christian, it's, no, don't tell us it's disrespectful at Dallas Seminary. Yeah, kind of is. Um, the theme of Ephesians 6, 5 through 8 is inside submission to God, and therefore truly, sincerely submitting to authority from inside. 
And then how that works its way outside, well, you have to be consistent. And what we tend to do is not want to look at ourselves inside. We want to say what is necessary is I've got to go along, get along, get through this thing. And so I'll put on a face and just, yes, okay. And we're not really submitting to authority. Paul says if you want to be a spirit-filled believer who's accruing eternal rewards in verse 8, as a slave, then submit from the heart. Make it real. It's authentic. It's authentic. It's um, consistent. It's called integrity. Verse 7, with good will, render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. Whatever good thing you do, you will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. Now that's an eternal perspective, as we said, because we're serving God in the power of the Spirit. It's not about us, not about time that we're in. It's not about, well, I'm going to go free all the slaves, Spartacus. It's not about that. It's about finding yourself in the circumstance where you choose to serve God internally, and then you render that externally. And you, you, you pull a Joseph, you bubble to the top, you find yourself in charge of many things, more and more, as you find yourself promoted, because integrity inside shows outside. Now, don't become a people pleaser. The, the, tr- the trap, one trap for you who are like, yeah, I'm sincerely committed to submitting to authority. One trap is that you stop thinking that I'm serving God and, it's, and He's real to you, and that service to Him is real to you. And you start thinking you're going to serve man. And you're, oh, I just want to please the boss. I just want the boss to be happy with me. If he's not happy with me, I don't think I'll be able to sleep. That's okay because I, I'll be getting up at four in the morning to be the first one at work so the boss sees me anyway. Who needs sleep? I can drink coffee. You know, that, that kind of person. That, that's a people pleaser. That's not what we're talking about. This is not I service as men pleasers. This is genuine this is stable this is someone that has what paul refers to in romans 5 as hope that comes about from character that comes about from trial and tribulation if you'll hold the place or we'll just close on on the next section i want to go to um first peter chapter 2 for a second please where peter addresses the same issue of christians that find themselves enslaved christians in slavery In verse 13, Peter makes a summary statement about all authority. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as to the one in authority or governors or as sent by him or for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. Such is the will of God that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men, act as free men, do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as, as bond slaves of God. See, whether you find yourself economically free or enslaved in chains you're free in christ from sin and you're enslaved to christ by the baptism of the spirit which has bound you to him forever but um this is peter's summary that you've got to think beyond the details and the circumstances to the ultimate circumstance your salvation your belonging to jesus christ and this is why we assemble this is why you can probably all already articulate this principle that i'm that i'm reading here but by spending some time in it together, we're refreshing, oh yeah, this is what life is about. 
And we're shaking off all the commitments that we have to the little, little details and side relationships and bad habits that we've made where we forget that, oh yeah, I'm living my life for the Lord. It's not about whatever detail of life that I'm trying to make it about. Now we get to slaves in verse 18. Mark, you got your Greek Bible? We'll, we'll wait. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, pull, uh, I think that's doulos, isn't it? I got my Greek Bible. In most churches, you cannot ask the congregation, what's the Greek word there? But in this church, you can. It just takes a couple minutes. One Peter, was that? 2.18, right? Okay, yeah, it's the house slave. Thank you. It's, um, it's, it's an oikates. See, I asked. I didn't know. See, I'm not a dramatic effect trying to say, well, maybe we can pull. Like, Is that slave? Yes. No, no, I, I really didn't know. But I, I, thought, I thought I remembered that wasn't due loss. Some things I remember, other things I don't. Um, an oikates is a slave that works in the house. Because an oikos is a house, and an oikates is a house slave. <clears throat> and um, again, I want you to notice the Roman slavery and the New Testament. Watch this. Who is Peter talking to in 1 Peter 2.18? These oikates, these house slaves. Why does Peter write to these people? One reason is because, watch it, they can read. And if they can't, someone reads it to them. But it's interesting that it's written to them. Like, like literacy is a thing. There's, your, there's one of your arguments for universal literacy right here. In other words, the idea of not teaching slaves to read is unthinkable since the Word of God is written. Servants or household slaves, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but to those who are unreasonable. Now, this is the part where, see, people, in my heart, when I read Ephesians 6, I say, well, what if, what if they hurt you? They're your master. They can hurt your body. They could take your kids. They could do all kinds of things. And surely we're supposed to say, in good circumstances, you submit to the, to the master. But Peter says, um, friends, we're not called here to, um, to, uh, to, to kind of be on a lifelong cruise ship of luxury and then go to the bigger cruise ship in the sky. The only shot you have at suffering for Christ's sake is in this life. And so you also need to submit to the masters who are unreasonable for this finds favor. Verse, eight, verse 19, if for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. Oh, so I have to submit to an authority even if they're being unfair. I don't like that. Well, that's because we, again, get our eyes off the Lord and onto the situation. But you've got to look at the situation with the Lord there in it. And watch how we see Jesus as our example of doing this. This finds favor if, for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? If you do the wrong thing and they, get, and they give you the right pen, penalty, oh, I'll, you know, I'll trust the Lord through my spanking. Well, good, but that's, I mean, that's cause effect. 
But when you're righteous, he says, but when you do what is right and suffer for it you, and you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. See, this is, this is the extreme case. So we have the extreme case of slavery in terms of submission to authority. Now, the extreme case of a slave who's being treated unfairly or harshly. And yes, we still trust ourselves to God. And um, that would be like making a martyr of yourself. This would be like, I mean, this would be like, I mean, are, are we really talking about suffering from unrighteous treatment at the hands of other people and we're just supposed to take it? You've been called for this purpose in verse 21 since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for him to, for you to follow in his steps. Oh yeah, you are a witness or a martyr. Yes, yeah, so you are supposed to say this is the deal. When you find it, this is going to echo in your thoughts at some point, I, I, I hope, when it's time. But when you find yourself, I, I, I've checked all the blocks. I'm, I'm, I'm not getting anything wrong. I'm not, I'm not living in a sin pattern. I'm, I'm walking by the Spirit. I confess my sins when I become aware of them. I'm taking in the Word, and yet this is the outcome, this unfair treatment. You found it that we're in 1 Peter 2, 21. You're walking in Christ's steps. He committed no sin or was any deceit found in his mouth. While being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. But he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. There it is. If I'm a functional atheist in the moment, I don't believe God is on his throne judging. But if I think about it for a second, I say, wait a second, I serve God. He's real and he, has a, he, has, he knows what he wants and he knows this is unfair. God, do you see this? Is one of the lament uh, themes in the lament Psalms. It's okay. Don't gripe to other people about God. Tell God, God, do you see what's going on? And you know he does, but sometimes you want to call out to him. He kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. He himself bore our sins in his own body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you've returned to the shepherd. That's the pastor and guardian. That's overseer of your souls. My idea here is that if you can see this, is, this applies to slavery, then you can do this at work. You can do this with any circumstance you find yourself. And have a little bit of compassion when you find people under your authority. They're, they're going to be addressed next, and we'll probably look at them next Sunday. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the challenge of your word to submit to duly constituted God-given authority, even in something uh, so odious, so horrible, as uh, when we find ourselves enslaved. For we could say, as Joseph did, man meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Father, we want to uh, be challenged by these things. We want to uh, have them echo in our thinking when it's time. We want to reflect on your truth and trust ourselves to you. We know the only way that'll happen is if we're walking with you daily. Father, I ask you to strengthen us to do so as we take in your word and we pray and we talk to you and we have a spiritual life. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.